As always, to the Redraft Podcast, I am your host, Will Stevenson, and I am joined by the ever-delightful Romina Ramos. How are you doing, Ro? Hello. I am very well. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm tired. Long day in the sun. I feel yeah. like I, I tried not to say that I'm tired, even though I'm exhausted, because I feel like every time we come in here, we're all, we're all just like, <laughs> we're so tired. But, yeah. I think you're right. <laughs> That's so fun. I mean, it's a peek into the process, isn't it? These these uh, intros and outros are often recorded quite late due to life being life life be life in a lot yeah. at the minute, a lot a lot at the minute, as um, people might be aware of. <laughs> There's a lot going on, um, but still, through it all, we've had we've had a good week. We had Natter on Tuesday. Yeah, Natter was lovely as always. It's always like like Natter. Natter always feels like my light at the end of a, a a month, <laughs> whatever it be, good or, or what. But um, yeah, no, it was lovely. We've had some returnees. We had Blaze back, who I'm still a massive fan of. Um, we had Ilaria. Yes, Ilaria, the storyteller, treated us to a snippet of her. Greater Manchester Fringe show that she's putting on in July outside mm. in. So definitely check that out and look up for tickets for that because uh, it's definitely going to be a cracker. Very excited. Uh, it was always a great, a great show and a great venue. Um, tickets are now available for the next version of Switchblade. Um, we'll be contacting our successful open micers very, very soon to so keep your eyes peeled, which is Sunday the 18th of June. I cannot believe that we're already into June. That is horrendous to me. Yes, my six event, five events, and coming up to the sixth one of the year. Yeah, that's crazy. Exactly, that's what I was gonna say. My coworker turned to me today, and he was like, uh, "It's like we're halfway through the year to like this," and I was just like, "Oh my god, yeah, it's a weird yeah. realization. It feels like Christmas has only just been." But I'm happy that summer is here. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We're getting we're getting them tans in. You know, you know how it is. <laughs> So, without much further ado, I think you should take the wheel and introduce our uh, guest for today. Yeah, absolutely. We got invited down to Didsbury and got to sit down with Abby Parcell. Um, I know Abby uh, a little bit previously. She used to teach English um, in Bolton College with my mum. And I also performed at her band's last... uh, single release at the Rose and Monkey, that's Ideal Husband's band, the band, um, and I got to pro- invited to perform some poetry of that, which was amazing. And yeah, we got to sit down with Abby. Abby is amazing. She is about to put out a new book um, called Holding Metaphors Accountable, which is just sounds incredible and looks absolutely amazing. We got a little sneak peek when we sat down with her. Um, she is also a writer in residence at the Portico Library. She's about to do a PhD um, and just doing lots of incredible things. So, yeah, take a seat back and enjoy this one, guys. Myself and Will are in Didsbury today chatting with Abby Parcel. Abby is lead singer of band Ideal Husband, which I had the great privilege of performing at the launch of your last single. 
um oh god the sunbasset blues yes, yes. Oh, single, single, yeah. yeah amazing which was a great vibe um and i also know you because you taught me my mum in bolton college yes i did teach me your mum in bolton college she's lovely so brilliant let's just crack on then uh this is like an informal chat we just ask mm-hmm. you about your work and stuff nothing nothing too formal um but we not we like to go right to the beginning um so tell us a little bit about where you grew up what that was like for you so uh yeah i'm from the valleys in south wales a little village called bedworth there's like 200 people there it's absolutely tiny um very much what you'd expect like catholic working class mining town and um it's very much like the church is opposite the pub so it's like exactly what you'd expect from a Welsh mine in town and famous for his cheese, Caffili cheese. So, yeah. Sounds like the place I lived in Ireland, to be fair. I, I reckon there'll be some similarities. Not oh, so yeah. much a mine in town, but the pub I worked at, if you left the front door, crossed the road, you're at the church. Yeah, <laughs> it's brilliant for midnight mass. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so tell us a bit about school then for you, high school specifically. High school was a terrible time. Uh, I went to a Catholic comprehensive school right. and I wore like just this hideous uniform <laughs> and I hated it. We wore like sweatshirts right. and I got bullied for wearing Doc Martens. Really? And I was like, yeah, you all, I told you all, I told you all, I see them all now in the Doc Martens. And um, I did terribly at school, hated it couldn't stand it, didn't want to be there. And then my English teacher sat me down and was like, you're actually quite good at this, fucking get on with it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. So did you did you engage with, like, the literature and poetry, like, being taught to you back then? Uh, no. Got to be honest, there was a lot of, like, um, I liked reading, I liked writing. Yeah. But on my own terms, like, I didn't like being told what to do. And then the start of it all for me was getting into music and writing song lyrics and stuff like that. Like we had a little, re- for some reason, where the brass band played in the village, there was a recording studio. So I remember just going and locking myself away in there all the time yeah, yeah, yeah. and just recording like little bits of like music and writing lyrics and stuff like that. What were you, what were you playing at the time? Was it instruments as well? Uh, yeah, so I play guitar and bass and I'm a terrible pianist. <laughs> <laughs> and I try to sing, so. It's cool that you had the opportunity to do that in such a small little close-off space. Yeah, yeah, it was strange. And I used to like play gigs in like the rugby club where I worked and stuff like that, you know, because everyone can sing in Wales. Yeah. Was there, was there much of a, a, a clique, a scene? No, absolutely not. You'd have to go to Cardiff. Are you performing for it? Like middle-aged meatheads who play rugby. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, to be honest, like even when I was in my last band, Earth, like a lot of the men that come to our gigs were middle-aged men. And I was just like, I like, this isn't what I expected <laughs> at all. Yeah. Like I wasn't out in my la- when I was in my last band, and but you know I think everyone knew. It's pretty, <laughs> pretty obvious. And um, yeah, just so many middle-aged men turned up, and they weren't all like related to me. Funnily enough, <laughs> so yeah. yeah, it was very strange. 
So I don't know. Yeah, my target audience has definitely changed, which is probably a good thing. But it was very much like, it sounds like a community that was developing, it was a very small one. It was yourself turning up to plays with the songs mm-hmm. because it's what you wanted to do. Yeah. And like, I'm just thinking about the logistics of that in terms of the financial situation. Were you paying to use the studio? Uh, no, it was free. So a woman, this really long story. So there's this woman that my mum sold a house to years ago. And um, she was like in her 90s, lovely woman, like the most interesting woman you'd ever meet. She was like a social worker in the 30s. And um, she taught soldiers how to read Braille and stuff like that, like after the war and stuff like that. And then she died and she had no kids. And she left me money to go to uni. And then she donated like 80 grand to the brass band. And then the rest to charity. And I was just like, what? So yeah, I got free reign of a studio because she knew me and she donated all that money to the brass band. Amazing. Amazing. So when, when do you, when do you break out from the valleys then? At what point in your life do you? About 18. 18, right. So you went to uni away. Went to uni in Manchester and never went back. Really? (laughs) Well, you will, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're from from Lincolnshire and over here. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people like that. I had the same. Yeah. I went away to uni and was just surrounded by, for the first time, all of this, like community and talent and and I got eager to dig my teeth into it and I'm the same thing yeah absolutely came to Manchester started writing more I had stuff to write about new experience I remember I used to like go around on the bus and I'd always I still do it it's like force a habit like I drive now so I can't really write in my notebook <laughs> yeah. but um I would like sit on the bus and write down bits of people's conversations. I'd just be really fucking nosy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just be yeah. like, oh, that's quite an interesting little phrase. Yeah. And then like pick up bits of conversation and put them into songs. And then I've sort of found poetry at that point and started writing. And did you do what did you do? What was your degree? Was it English? English, English yeah. Right, right, right. Cool. I did the like critical theory side of things. I never yeah. wanted to go, and it was never my plan to go into creative writing. Wow. Yeah. Did you did you do a teacher training course as well, or did you? I did. So I did my undergrad, and then I did a master's in literature and culture, and then I did my teaching degree. Yeah. And now, I'm all in Manchester, and I'm starting my PhD at Salford. Amazing. So let's talk a little bit about then um, when you first started writing poetry. When I started writing poetry, I can't put a date on it because song lyrics and poetry are such yeah. a yeah, they are. massive sort of overlap. And I'd write all these like really like dramatic songs. And some of them I look back and I want that I just cringe. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I just can't do it. I can't look back. And those notebooks have gone into like a bin fire somewhere. <laughs> and... um. Yeah, I uh, started writing poetry. Like, the first poem I remember writing... Oh, God, what was it? I mean, I wrote little bits here and there. And, like, it was mainly lyrics. I thought, if I can put music to that, it'll be lyrics. If And then I had a separate notebook for poetry. But it wasn't until I like, met my partner that I got really into writing poetry. Right. So, that was, like 
bit more like not everything has to be put to music and be made public. Yeah. Yeah. So. Writing poetry for yourself uh, yeah. as well, and whereas song lyrics are always an external thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So now that you do both quite um, professionally, uh, do you have different processes for like when you're sitting down to write music or when you're sitting down to write uh, poems? I'm very much like. Or is it? Yeah. The kind of person who will just sit down and see what happens, and it can go either way. Like when I've finished, I always write the lyrics first when I'm writing a song, and then I put the music around it because I like that to be the focus, and then sort of see what happens if I can't fit music around it as a poem, or if it like if it's too good to be a song, yeah. then it's a poem. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There seems like there's more weight to a poem. Yeah. Mm. In some ways. More rarefied. It's more rarefied, isn't it? A, a pop song you can play a hundred times and the yeah. lyrics can lose their meaning. Absolutely. A little bit. Whereas you don't revisit a poem as much, I suppose. But it's like, I remember like singing all these songs by people I absolutely like idolised, like when I was playing in like that rugby club. And people would just look at me like, what the fuck is she singing? Because none of them knew. They'd all sing, like, Tom Jones songs. <laughs> and Tom Jones actually lived down the road. Oh, really? My nan was dating him. Wait, hold on. Amazing. Rewind. <laughs> what do you mean your nan was dating My Tom nan, Jones? back in, like, the 50s, 60s, was dating Tom Jones. Incredible. Before he got famous. They lived in the same village. No, she ditched him for my granddad. <laughs> I yes. love it. I love it. Come on now. <laughs> so what kind of music was it at the time? You mentioned about the dot lines. Yeah. So I was like a typical sad teenager who would sing like pulp songs and suede songs and like Nick Cave songs. I was like 15. (laughs) And I was like, my music taste hasn't changed, to be honest. (laughs) But like, um, I would be there singing like, uh, so there's a song called Razzmatazz by Pulp. And the opening line is something like, the trouble with your brother, he's always sleeping with your mother. And um, I remember singing that down the rugby club at like 15 with my little guitar. And then all the mums just sort of looked at me. <laughs> they were like, what did she just say? And I was like, oh, know your audience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's important to know your audience for sure. Um, yeah. I got asked to do, I got asked to support... Um, my poetry, my ex poetry lecturer at uh, Bolton Library. Oh yeah, uh, which was an amazing opportunity, and I loved it. But it's I'd never done a sort of gig like that before. Yeah, uh, I'd always done like open mics in like the Pier Hat and you know places like this. And then it's like it's such a different crowd, and it really threw me off that like no one clapped after each poem. So you just Woo-hoo! expect there was like no reaction, and then he was like, oh, and then you're just supposed to go on to the next one, and it proper threw me off because. I yeah, that I, I like that like instant gratification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know it's I mean? like, do they like it? Do they not? Oh, I don't know. I've got to do another one now. <laughs> you know, but yeah, no, it's it's interesting. Um, so you mentioned how you when you were living in the valleys, you went out and stuff like that. Um, so was that when you came into Manchester and you you know you experienced all the community and all yeah, the... it was crazy. It blew my tiny mind. Yeah, I remember being stood in Piccadilly Gardens, just like. and i i was in halls in cambridge halls and if anyone knows cambridge halls like they are like terrible (laughs) terrible place 
and um i um went to go to tesco and there's tesco on oxford road right by there and i completely missed it and ended up in piccadilly gardens and i was just stood there with like three bags of shopping just like where the fuck am i and i've been gone for like three hours and all my flatmates none of my flatmates have my number or anything like that at this point they're like oh who's that girl who was like here for an hour and now she's been gone all day and they were like, well, we're having drinks at six. And I was like, I don't know where I am. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, no. Yeah, so, yeah. It's, a big, it's a big scary place. Well, not, it's not scary, but it's a big intimidating place when you come from such a little small yeah, like, community. Where everyone knows everyone. Yeah. It's like, but I quite yeah. like that, like, anonymity. Yeah. Like, yeah. At the moment. Like, yeah. And in general, I've always sort of liked that about Manchester, where you can go out into Manchester and be around people. And you can have a chat with people because they're friendly. But um, you can also have that space at the same time to like just be on your own, yeah. but not in a, like a isolated way because you're still around people, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I found that when I was living in Kildare in Ireland, that it's like, at first I really loved the fact that it was so small and everybody knew, you know, if I went to the shop, oh, you're the chef from the, the pub. And I was like, yeah, that's me. Uh, but very quickly I be became tired of like small town mentality for starters and then secondly you could not do you know anything without the town knowing yeah it, it yeah. becomes very like claustrophobic for me anyway yeah. like so I, I've always preferred something like Manchester where like you say you can be anonymous and at the same time still be surrounded by people yeah, yeah absolutely I love that yeah and you can feel you can feel the heartbeat of it and you can feel like the stories that just waiting to come out of people as well. Like you referenced earlier on the bus, you, you feel, I feel so inspired whenever I'm in the city centre because there's all this opportunity. Yeah. You know what I mean, and you don't know what anyone is going through, yeah. anyone's doing on any given day. And they can be like off to do some mad shit, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like crazy stuff. And you're just like, I'm just going to Tesco's and getting lost on the way. Yeah, anyway. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, right, let's talk a little bit about your work then. Um, we were discussing on the way here about your rewriting Manchester project. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we'd love to know a bit more about that. So the idea behind that was mainly aimed at like young people and getting them into writing. And the theme was like identity, like within Manchester, like what is your identity within the city? And how do you identify? Where do you fit in? And... I just got a load of like, you know, poets from the Neurodivergent Poets Network and just general poets that I like, I know from over the years. And I was just like, hey, I want to come and write something about like, about you for this project. And I think it just went so well. I really, really enjoyed it. And, you know, if I could do that full time, I'd be so happy. (laughs) If I could just spend the rest of my life doing stuff for the Portico Library, I absolutely would. Yeah, because you're writing in residence, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did did that come about? Is that something you applied for? I literally just walked in. So my partner was working there on like an internship and... um, I just walked in and I was like, I'm doing this PhD, told them about my PhD. And I was like, do you want to write her in residence? And they were like, yeah. Wow. Amazing. So yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's yeah. just how it came about. And then, so they've, have they taken the front foot in that partnership? Because you've done a couple of bits and bobs. Yeah, I've done a lot of stuff with the Portco, like lectures. Have they had ideas what 
they wanted you to bring or if they've been so really it's just, about kind of just given me free reign really <clears throat> there's so much freedom in it like so the idea is to like queer the collection and to explore that a bit more and then to write sort of like a blog of the process like the creative process behind queering a like really problematic collection in some senses so because obviously with the colonial past of the library and it's not the most liberal collection it's a lot of travel writing in inverted commas and i think um yeah i think challenging that collection like you know is a really important thing i'm doing it from like a queer perspective but obviously they've got a lot of people in you know decolonizing the collection and doing lots of work on that side of it as well which i think is really important absolutely yeah i like it just going back to the rewrite in manchester like i really like that idea of like getting the younger generation in now to come and and say what manchester really is about yeah we just made like little zines about themselves yeah 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 like little mini eight page zines like this one here yeah 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 Yeah, we've just done a we've just done a zine making workshop with rcic and i absolutely love it because we're both uh, considering like self-publishing and Mm. you know different avenues uh, for our future and I think like making zine and visualize it like combining visual art with the written word and stuff is just such a good yeah, yeah. Um, oh, my latest I've got a little pile of them down oh, there. oh right so, we will get on to that doing. one boy, for sure yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah, sorry. It's, uh, just on that, on the rewrite of Manchester, I've actually been in, uh, involved recently in a workshop in Wigan uh-huh. where they're where they're doing a whole work on King Street and like the past and oh, the right. present. Like King Street used to be like this buzzing street. People yeah. would come out of town to to come to the bars and the theatre there. I and... played a gig in the Bailiff Bar. Oh really? In yeah, Wigan. yeah. And honestly, I thought it was going to be chased out of there at one point, but yeah, it, was, yeah. it actually like was really fun. Yeah, yeah. So like they're doing a lot of work now to rejuvenate it and, and like to bring art back into it and stuff and yeah. they've been given a lot of funding for that um and it just reminded me of the rewrite in manchester because it's it's all about getting the younger people now to say like what is great about it because the old people have like all these hi- histories and the stories yeah. and um but the young people like now only know it as like i think there's like a trail you do like and you dress up on boxing day oh, and fancy right. dress and and that's what it's famous for now and it's just like you know yeah, we can kebab I've not. I've not had a oh vegan kebab. No. Oh, my God. So, no. This is like a balm with a pie in. All right. And, like, you can have mushy peas on him. Oh, right, like right, right. I've had a pie balm like, before, but... Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's incredible. Amazing. It's like carbs on carbs on carbs. It's yeah, so yeah. good. It's great to see, like, you know... Manchester is amazing and there's all this like culture and everything buzzing and like the poetry is having like a, a moment, a real moment. Uh, but I love to see like little northern towns, forgotten northern towns like Bolton and like Wigan, like just getting all this like funding for the arts because yeah. it's so needed. Like for people who like us that live there and have basically nothing on our doorstep, it's like it's super important. Yeah. Yeah, being a part of that change. I think yeah, that's yeah, what's yeah. interesting about yourself and this conversation that we're having is is the I think people are interested in how you sort of bridge the gap from starting out doing open mics getting a degree and lit or whatever and then establishing yourself and I think yeah. part of what you've just been talking about is just like asking for shit yeah and just being open you just about gotta it. ask yeah. 
that's my mo like if you look at my email sent box it's just like the equivalent of cold calling yeah as a creative you have to do it because you just gotta put yourself out there yeah that's something i really hate about like that that you have to like market yourself yeah. so heavily as like a creative or an academic or something like along those lines mm. i just i it's totally against my nature yeah. to like market myself and put myself out there but it's like oh you have to yeah i'm like the worst salesperson like even in my day Honestly. job in the cafe like i hate upselling because I just feel like people just want a coffee and they want to be left alone they don't want to be asked if they want this and that with it you know like and I'm just not um yeah I'm not a good salesperson and I and it just I cringe when I have to sell myself yeah and a lot of the time I think like the way society is at the moment as well like a lot of the time, the things that you have to sell yourself is like all these labels, like I'm queer, I'm ND, yeah. I'm, you know, and I hate that because to me, it's not selling points. It's just like, it's part of who you are yeah. and you're, you're having to just like sell yourself this way and it's, bands, yeah. Like different bands in general, like were labeling themselves as female fronted. And I remember that, that big uproar. And I was sort of like, well, you kind of got to do what you got to do sometimes. Yeah, you have to, yeah. I think when it when it's relevant to the work, I think it's really important. Like the, yeah. what you're doing at the moment with the queer and the collection thing can, mm-hmm. cannot be done by a straight person. Yeah. And it's also really important. Well it's like the like I couldn't go and decolonize a collection. Sure. Like it's the same like a straight person couldn't queer a collection. When it becomes condescending or unnecessary is when it's not extrinsically like linked to the yeah. actual thing that you're doing. Mm-hmm. I also find it really interesting that you're both wary of selling yourselves like in that way because I, I don't feel like that at all yeah and I wonder to what extent there is like some sort of misogyny in there and also to what extent you're associated with like a capitalist thing of I'm selling a product when to me it's not that it's not that at all it's I'm trying to get my artwork out there yeah, you know I mean? yeah, 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 yeah. It's interesting. But a lot of the time, a lot of the time, like for us, we speak about this on the pod all the time. Like we, as creatives, and like we aspire to eat from our art, and we, we're not doing that yet. Will's a teacher full time. I'm a barista full time, um, and we do all of this like in the backlog. So we've got the pod. We've we started a CIC. We're both on our own individual nights. Mm-hmm. You know, we've we've both writers and it's we feel like we've we have to have our fingers in a lot of pies and we're still yeah. not making any money. Let's be really honest <laughs> brutally honest about that here. We're still not making any money, but I feel I feel like when it comes to selling yourself, it's because you you are trying to sell a product, product aren't you? Like mm. a lot of the time I'm trying to sell my collection or you know, you're obviously gonna yeah. try and sell your collection and Patreon. And the Patreon, like, you know, and it's just, yeah, it is, it is selling a product because yeah. our art is a product, unfortunately, mm. at this point. But, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. Yeah, and it's like that idea of, like, your art becoming a commodity yeah. and, like, the complications that as, like, somebody who's maybe more left-leaning how the emotions that come with yeah. that is like makes you feel a bit icky sometimes cool well let's talk about the book of the hour then uh, <laughs> hold your metaphors accountable so it's all about the butch experience yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah, talk us a, tell us a little bit about that how so as you can imagine growing up as a little baby butch in south wales was not a breeze yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it was not it. And I think I just wanted to explore. So there's a poem in there called Baby Butch Rising, and that's probably one of my favourites. Right. And it's like, you know, stood in front of the mirror with your dad's shaving cream on, but not really knowing what to do. It's like, do I do this? Do I not? Yeah. Do I shave my armpits? Do I shave my legs? Do I shave my face? Like, mm, yeah. It's like exploring that sort of complication of identity yeah. growing up because I was writing about it today actually and it's like the butch experience I find is like a paradox and it's like where do I fit in yeah and I think what I've got out of the writing this collection is um that it's not a presentation of masculinity it's actually like an exploration of your own femininity yeah that doesn't conform to patriarchal standards mm. so it's like going so f- so it's like going so far one way it's like a circle isn't it yeah like you go so far one way you end up at the other way yeah yeah so it's like a hyper femininity for me yeah that's really interesting like i've i have always until very recently considered myself like a butch you know yeah. i've always been a tomboy i've had short hair for many years i've always like shopped in boys clothes and yeah. it's what i felt comfortable in you know um until recently i've i've been questioning my gender a lot more and i've kind of settled on uh, non-binary and that's because i'm still figuring it all out yeah. i don't i don't you know i, I don't, don't know it what it stops me- yeah think it's just a constant process yeah. and like the thing i always i used to identify as non-binary and then i was like well no one's gonna stop me it's for me my how i identify yeah so you know, if I want to change, I can. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's actually something that belongs to only us and nobody can take that away from us. And I think that's. Absolutely. I think that's pressure to like put a label on something. Yeah. It's just not it. Like it's for you and you should do what makes you feel most comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I think uni really helped me like answer some questions because I remember like seeing this, um, What's she called? Uh, Ruby Rose. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember yeah. seeing this, like, uh, short sh- they're in and, like, they're, they'd go from one gender to the other, so they dressed oh, either. Right. They dressed either, either really girly and then strip it all back and they look really masculine and all the makeup or the other way around, I can't remember. But it. But I remember having, like, a light mold moment and thinking, oh, like, this is how I feel. I literally yeah. feel from day to day like that. Sometimes I want to be a bit more girly and I'll only wear clothes that are, like, female clothes and stuff. And some of the days I was just – I look at myself and I was like, oh, I want top surgery. And, yeah. and it's just so – It's a constant, I think like, it's, battle, Yeah, it? absolutely. But I think works like these are so important – to everyone because it helps other people understand but also to people like me who are you know questioning and um and question that experience and not really knowing where where they fit so I'm really excited to uh to delve into that um yeah um, (laughs) I think it's really interesting looking on the outside of that as you're talking about clothes and the way that they can affect your gender and so myself, like, I'm cis and I'm a man, but I don't, well, you know, so I'll wear, like, a skirt or a crop top or mm-hmm. whatever it'll be, but the thing that'll be affecting whether I'm choosing to wear that, or like this, for example, on yeah. a day, 
won't be which is iconic uh, by the way <laughs> I it won't be it won't be how i feel whether i don't drive up like today. it'll be what am i going to be perceived as today what yeah. environment am i going to be in i'm going to be in one that's going to be friendly towards that or am yeah. i putting myself in danger by doing that mm-hmm. and it's so i think that's the difference between the cisgender experience and the nb experience is it's not an internal thing it's an external thing do you know what i mean so if you felt safe, if you felt safe, would you wear that all the time? Not necessarily every day, but certainly more. More regularly. than you do, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but that's also a confidence thing, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's you know, look at people like Stevie, for example, who wears yeah, yeah. all the time and clearly feels confident with it. Yeah. Stilettos. Like, <laughs> I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Expression. So. Thank you. Yeah. We'll we'll chat about it. On to the book. Uh huh. Hold your metaphors accountable. So I think there's like a, a very big culture in like, you know, throwaway terms, like as somebody with bipolar. So like I the amount of times you hear people go, oh, I'm so bipolar today. Yeah. Or oh my I don't know. Like, the weather's bipolar. The weather's I bipolar. hear that all the time. It's yeah. weird, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, you know, things like that when it comes to like mental illness and disability and just, you know, every sort of intersection you can think of, there is some sort of problematic metaphor that needs to be held accountable in some way. Like the example I gave, like personally, like when people just throw something like bipolar around, I'm just kind of like, oh, can, can you not though? So yeah, I wrote a poetry collection on why they shouldn't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's brilliant. How did you come? At, it was is that just a, like a, an idea you had? Yeah, or it just is, is it came into my yeah. head one day. I remember writing a piece about. Um, it was a very long-winded piece about uh, William Burroughs and how uh, he, like, he killed his wife. And um, I was like, so why do we hold these men to such a high standard when they're pieces of shit? Yeah. And he went on to, like, all these different men who we hold, like, to this incredible standard, but they're abusers. And, like, you think, like, um, Jimmy Page and... Uh, David Bowie, who I've got. I was just about to jump in on that. I'm writing a show at the minute about Kanye West. Uh, It's pivoting slightly to be less about Kanye and more about celebrity culture in general. In my head, when you were talking, I was going, David Bowie, David Bowie. But I'd know it was was on the wall. How how do you, I was going to say justify, but that's not the right word because you don't need to justify anything. But how does that feel? It's a very complicated relationship because Bowie was my sort of, he was my idol and and the way that he performed the way his gender expression was played with and in his identity in general this like i kind of love and i hate that there's no authenticity in it yeah like it's all a performance and that was really sort of eye-opening for me as like a performer and a writer and i just held him in this sort of godlike status and then I found out all that shit about him and I was just like, it just broke my heart. And to be clear, because maybe people are listening who don't know, is that he's alleged to have had sex with two 13-year-old girls. Yes. Um, which, 
is something that we just skip over for some reason. Uh, the excuse is always, oh, but it was in the 70s, yeah. as if abuse didn't exist in yeah. the 70s. But it, it's, yeah, it's still going on now. Look, yeah. at, look at Schofield, you know, we don't need to say anymore, but he's just left <laughs> this morning willingly over yeah. the allegations of grooming a 14-year-old boy. And it, and it's just like, as you say, why are these men held in such high regard? And, and obviously these big institutions, be it the BBC with Savile or ITV with whoever, yeah. just cover it all up like, yeah. oh, it's fine. And it's it's just, yeah, it's, it's a part of the sticky issue, though, one. Part of the issue, though, is that we both acknowledge that this is true, right? Yeah. This isn't being covered up. No, no, no. Because, because I, I take your point, I think. You're yeah. Right. But we, as consumers of the art, are just, you know, allowing that to happen. I think, I think a lot of it comes down to whether you can, and not everyone can do this, like, but, and me included, but I think it's like, can you differentiate the art from the artist, separate yeah, the two? Separate the yeah. Which yeah. isn't always an easy thing to do, you know, yeah. but... I think a lot of people can do that or justify it as that, yeah, you know. Yeah. There has to come a point where you're like, well, I cannot support this behaviour. I think it also depends on their power levels as well. Like, David Bowie can't hurt anyone. No, he's that's dead. true. He's fucking dead. And he's not making any money off of yeah. you buying art or whatever it is. And even if you take that one step further as well, there's people in, like, have, like black metal and extreme metal bands who've done some fucking horrible fucked up shit physically hurt people like murdered people but they're so insignificant that you listening to like whoever emperor or whatever isn't gonna change the world so it's I don't know I think it's really fascinating I'm really interested in the conversation topic I did my master's dissertation on like youth culture and around the clock of orange Mm. and Anthony Burgess's sort of influence upon all of that I did like an exhibition on it with the Burgess Foundation, and we talked a lot about like Stanley Kubrick's sort of back catalogue, yeah, and all the and a Clockwork Orange in general being like a really awfully problematic book, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 and that was quite an interesting sort of looking into it from like a youth culture perspective, yeah, I found that like very interesting to research, so I get what you're. And Kubrick, Kubrick The Shining is probably my favourite film of all time, but yeah. then the way he was to Shelley Duvall on the set yeah. that is unforgivable, it's yeah. fucking horrible. Yeah. And it's to what extent do you keep replaying that in your head and to what extent can you enjoy the art? Because it's been filmed now, it yeah. exists. Kubrick's dead again. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's It's out there. Yeah. Like, there'll always be somebody who wants to consume that. Yeah. But then you're also then with Doctor Sleep the other year, so it's the sequel to the to the Shining. That's actively encouraging people to go back and then participate in the original product. But then is it the original product or is it King's book? Mm. The whole fascinating it's, thing. It's of, King's book in it. It's actually the original. Well, yeah, that's the original. But is the film a sequel to? Is the oh yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's an interesting one. Um. Anyway, back to the craft. <laughs> back to the craft. Um, yeah. So, what what does it do? You need like conditions to write. Um, I think you need a flat surface. <laughs> uh, I can write anywhere. Yeah. I'm pretty. I have like notes on my phone and notebooks. 
someone, I just buy notebooks and fill them yeah. with like phrases and little ideas and even just words sometimes and I'll like piece them together into mm-hmm. like a sentence or I'm very much like a very visual sort of writer. Like one of the poems in the collection that explores like psychosis and religion. Um mm. that this is called Psychosis Religion. Yeah. Yeah, it's on Instagram. Yeah, yes. Oh, I've got a question about that. Carry on. Okay. <laughs> um, so that sort of, um, you know, explores, but the way I wrote that was actually like cutting up lines and the crossed out lines were on one side and the non-crossed out lines were on the other and then just sort of slotting them in where it's made sense yeah. to me. That poem's a bit all over the place, but it makes sense to me, yeah, in my mushy brain. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a really interesting one to write. I wrote that at the Portico actually. I was like just sat in the reading room, it was a really nice environment, and it's just sort of like it really got me thinking. So, the probably the Portico is the best place to write, yeah. It's, oh, a, stunning, it's a stunning background, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, to what extent do you consider yourself an experimental writer? Because I, I, I think that piece, for me, certainly qualifies as a, as a piece of experimental. I wouldn't class myself as an experimental writer at all, to be honest. I think I write about the same themes. You know, every poem has a similar theme. That's the first poem I've sort of written about mental health and, like, the intersection with religion. The the theme might be one that you tread and have a preference for, but the creation of that is definitely not something intended. Yeah, it's to, not a normal way to do it. Well. Like yeah, yeah. Typical way yeah. to do it. Yeah. Yeah, that was a really that was the first time I've done something like that. Yeah. And I think a lot of the work I'm doing at the moment is going that sort of direction. So I think yeah, that that is something I'm going to lean into a lot more. It certainly stood out to me because I think you did a really good job of effectively translating what's... It's really interesting to know that it started off as like an analogue thing yeah. with the physical crosses through. Mm-hmm. Because oh, when, you, when you do that on, then it's been transferred into a computer. The strike through is being so symmetrical. Yeah. And it looks very... Robotic isn't the right word, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it's very intentional, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and I guess it would look a bit messier in an analog format. Yeah. So that's that's interesting about the way it translates, and, and then that can even have an effect with the presentation mm-hmm. on how you read it and yeah. how you interpret it. So with the, the pressing of the anthology, not mm-hmm. anthology, sorry, the collection, how important was it to you the way it looks on the page? Um, Very important, I think. I'm a very aesthetically driven person. I like things to look a certain way to like get my point across. So the artwork in the uh, there's like little abstract paintings Amazing. in the collection, and they were all done by my partner's auntie Maria Wilson, and uh, she's like a visual artist and like collage maker and like she does all this experimental art. Yeah. And she was like a performance artist in like the 80s and like really, really, really like incredible artist. And she sent me these abstracts and it just really got me thinking like how can I play with the words to do the images justice? So yeah, that was, she's a poet as well. 
So it was sort of like, oh God, I've got to, got to like live up to like Maria's standards. Yeah. So like it was a long process of trying to like cut things up. Like I'm not much of an editor, but this was the first collection I've actually edited properly and like really thought about everything. Yeah, so I'm very much a one draft person. Right, interesting. Because we're in the redraft yeah, podcast, yeah, aren't we? Yeah, Fantastic. Um, that's interesting. So, did uh, did some of these poems come after the after you seen the yeah. artwork? Yeah. yeah. Ah, I love I that. Them it's kind did, of yeah. reverse ecstatic poetry. Yeah, so well, that, no, it is ecstatic because it's religion. That was shoehorned in at the end. I wrote that like the day before it went to print. Wow. wow. I was like, you need to put this in there amazing so so was this like a project that you like started and finished within a certain amount of time or uh, did you have some of these poems like backlogged and you thought a few were backlogged just sort of floating around in the ether and um then i wrote some specifically for the for collection it, yeah. i think you can tell which ones are which yeah to be honest that's interesting did you was how did you come about publishing the book then? Is it something that you've done through Portico or is uh, it... No, I did it through Team Trident Press right. in Salford. Okay. So they run out of Partisan and it's right. like the Risograph printers. Oh, and I just right. love the way the Risograph looks and I was like, I can't get anyone else to do it. Yeah. Like, they're the only ones I trust with it. Lisa is absolutely like fantastic. I can't speak highly enough of her. Like, She does this by herself and like well, puts her heart and soul into it. Really, and like I wanted to work with someone with the same sort of passion, yeah. yeah. And that was really important to me because, like I said, I'm very aesthetically driven, and I gave her sort of control over how it looked, and it came out perfect. Yeah, it so looks stunning, it looks, it looks well. stunning. I've not held it here, but it does look look really um clean and just, just a stunning, stunning book, definitely. That's really exciting. So tell us a little bit about, uh, I think that you're going on tour with the book as well. Yeah, going I'm going to... on a little tour. Um, I'm not uh, 100% sure if I've announced them all. It's all no, sort Manchester of... twice and Brighton. That's what's out. That's what's Instagram. out, yeah. So you're doing Unitom. <laughs> Unitom. The Query. Uh, Query. Portico. Yeah. That's what's publicly out there. That's what's publicly out, publicly out there, right? Ebden Bridge and... Oh, Ebden, Ebden. Yes, amazing. Ebden Bridge and... Ah, uh, Cardiff. Oh, no. oh, of course. So, You've got to go home yeah. with it. Amazing. So, um... You've edited the, edited the book yourself, yeah. right? And you, you've arranged the story yourself. Yeah. You literally have done it yeah. self-made like said, from scratch. Calling. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. That's, yeah... It's amazing. I think a lot of people are like uh, find you know traditional publishing such a, like an intimidating industry, yeah. and um, it's so refreshing to see that you know you can do this yourself yeah, from start absolutely. to finish. Um, you can tour it up and down the country, and all mm. you have to do is ask. Mm. All you have to do is knock on the door. And ask. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, yeah, I wanted to talk about. Um, uh, one thing in particular to do with the launch, um, yeah. which was the event that you've announced. It's the one at Portico, I think, yeah. which is you've announced it as a launch Q&A panel. An open mic. An open yeah. mic. Oh, so what, what was the driving force behind that to make it sort of like a multidisciplinary type sit down? and All of my work is interdisciplinary and I was like, I don't want to just sit there and talk about myself. I want to hear what other people have to say. 
and like make it a more communal experience like i felt like it would be really hypocritical of me to write a book about community and then just talk about myself the whole time so i was like i want to open it up to as many people as possible make it as accessible as possible so give people that chance have you found we're interested, I think, in we we are trying to get away from this, but we're both obviously very much a part of the Manchester you know, creative community scene, whatever yeah, you want to call it. How have you found negotiating that and trying to figure out your space and your place? Not really in it? the scene. Mm, that's what I mean. I know we and, hate yeah, the word and, scene. And I success. do too. I'm so, not really in it. I don't really engage, to be honest. Mm. Have you never felt tempted to? Part of me, yeah. Mm. I think I'd be lying if I said I wasn't ever tempted to like get in with, you know, all the big names mm. who you follow on Twitter and mm. stuff like that. But um, no, it's just not something I'm really interested in. I'd rather sort of find my own way. Mm. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I'd rather sort of keep myself to myself. I think that's. I think after being in like the Manchester music scene, which sure. is a chaotic, sort of incestuous place, <laughs> um, I think I've tried to stay away from that sort of culture yeah. a lot. Sorry, you go. I'll just add a quick one. When it comes to your music and the band and stuff, is again, uh, is that all self-made? Do you have a, yeah. a little agent, a manager, anything no, like that? nothing like that. So you book your own gigs, yeah. you, you do all that yourself? We're taking a bit of a break at the moment. Yeah. Um, so the project's completely changed. It's just going to be voice and piano going Ooh. forward. Oh, wow, well, okay. And big change. Yeah, Massive big change. change. Yeah. So it's just going to be voice and piano. Um, and, yeah, we're just doing it all ourselves. Yeah. Because um, obviously you had the launch, which I was at. You played Yes Bow uh, mm-hmm. on the same bill Swear, as our yeah, friend yeah. Anthony mm-hmm. Merrick. Um, and yeah, and I just wondered because Anthony's experiences obviously is blowing up. He's got you know mm-hmm. he's got a manager. He's got BBC. He's on the BBC uh, Weekend. There is it and, yeah, and all these things. But yeah, I just I just wondered again if that was all self made. That's that's amazing. I think it's just like. I like the simplicity of just doing it myself. Yeah. I know where everything's at. There can be no cross wires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just having that control over things. It's so important to, like... To to keep the control over our art because a lot of the time... Uh, you know, you especially in writing, you sometimes you sign off your writing to these big presses, and, yeah. and then and then you've lost it, and then it's not not that you've lost it, you, but, but you might have temporarily lost control of it. But you've lost control of it, yeah. and and I think yeah, I think that's the the way forward, at least for myself going forward, is uh, self made. Do you ever get tempted to or not be a bit torn in between two directions? Because I feel like you're. A, a crux, both the band and the, the, the poetry are clearly doing well, mm-hmm. enough to go on like a five-day tour and have people come. You must be yeah. fairly confident when booking venues that there's a reason why you're doing it. Yeah. But then obviously the band with playing yes and making the right moves, does it feel like you, your headspace is dead, torn between these two successful My projects? My head's totally in the poetry and the writing. Yeah. Like I think I've sort of grown out of that whole band mindset and you know i'm gonna go tour the world and 
you know, do all this. We, we played with the Brian Jonestown massacre a couple of years ago, and I think that was the turning point. I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. Really? That's I interesting. Because like, that's it will go either way, won't it? You're like, yeah. well, this is the best thing I've ever done. Yeah. Or actually, do you know what? That's I remember not just being stood on the stage at Lead Mill. Yeah. And I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. That's interesting. Literally on the stage whilst performing. It I didn't say it. No, I didn't do that. But um, I just remember thinking to myself, like, this isn't all it's cracked up to be. Mm. Like, I want the simplicity. I want to just have agency over my own words and, and not do it for the love. What to write and do it because you want to do it. Yeah, massively yeah. important. And that was a real turning point. And then the band imploded. Um, my old bands band, I want to do. My old band imploded. And, you know, still friends with a lot of them. And, um, and then I started Ideal Husband. And, like, I think just stripping that back to voice and piano is just a really nice sort of, uh, like, treat to myself. Is that going to be still the whole band, yourself, Jess? And... Uh, no, it'll just be me and Rami. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. Cool, cool. Interesting. Right, well, we are approaching the hour yeah, mark. Yeah. Uh, so we'll go on to, like, the, the last couple of questions, which is centred around what you just mentioned, is that you're not a big editor, right? You, you don't... Absolutely not, no. <laughs> I can't be asked with it. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. Because I think, I think what I love about poetry so much... Um, well, there's two things, really. It's the fact that you get to tell a whole story in mm-hmm. very limited amount of words. Yeah. But then on the, off the back of that, like, I feel like every word has to earn its place. Yeah. It has to be there. Yeah. Some people are just uber talented and get that right all the time. Me, I, I go back and edit and edit and edit. I cannot leave things alone. Yeah. So I'm always thinking the most, there is a better word for here. There's a, there's a better word to describe this. Um, but I'm always fascinated by... And also, doing a BA in creative writing, you get that drilled into yeah. you, you know, yeah. you need to edit, you spend whole workshops editing. Um, but I've got a massive respect for people who just get it right on the first go. Will's partner, Michaela, is an incredible writer, and, and she just does the same. She'll yeah. do this incredible poem, and she'll have written it once, and it'll be ready for the world, and it's yeah. just like, it's foreign to me, but I am so, like, inspired by it, and... and it's interesting I think to there's me. There's a beauty in a first draft because it's very raw and it's yeah. very emotional mm-hmm. and it's your initial thoughts. And I quite like to keep a lot of that. Yeah. Like, so I'm not an over editor, I'm barely an editor, to be yeah. honest. Amazing. Well, we're about to ask you the very yeah, big question here on the redraft podcast. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll let Will. Oh, yeah. Privilege is all yes. mine. That's exciting. So, talked a lot. <laughs> away from. Away from editing in a, in a literal or conventional sense, we like to ask people, in terms of your, you can take the question two ways, in terms of your life or in terms of your career, what is the biggest thing that you'd like to go back and re-edit, so to speak, to have another redraft, have a redraft back? Never working in a high school. Okay, yeah. right, talk to me, as an English uh, teacher now. <laughs> so oh, yeah, I was an English teacher in a high school and this morning, it was that. not for me. Mm-hmm. I did not have the patience. I did not have the, oh, I just could not. Yeah. I was just stood there and I was like trying, and you know, I love teaching. It's like, mm-hmm. it's a passion of mine. I want to go on to like, I'm teaching at university at the moment and 
Like, I absolutely love it. And so those people have chosen to be there. Yeah, I think that's the difference. The difference between choosing to be in education and just being forced into education. Absolutely. Is yeah. just like, because I can just see myself in those kids. Sure. Who, yeah, 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 yeah. who just did not want to be there and could have been going and doing things that would benefit them instead of just sat in a, like, for me, it was maths. Mm. Oh, I really? I thought it was English lit. Right, right, okay. No, I couldn't, I couldn't do maths. Oh, you couldn't do maths, sorry. Yeah, yeah, same. Definitely. Absolutely Absolutely. the same. Well, can I tell you a quick story about that? I had to do a maths cover lesson last year. Oh, no. Right? So, 11, year seven, 11 year olds, they knew it better than I did. I had no clue what was happening. Yeah, I, I actually don't get the other guy in the classroom across and go, can you just come in, please? I don't know how to do this. Thank you very much, either like a maths and science brain or like an English and history sort of brain. Yeah, like, I completely agree. I think I found that from teaching. I think you like except for my partner she's a bit of everything she's very uh she's very good at maths for somebody who does like art history and i know (laughs) just showing everyone up so um yeah and sit me in a maths class and i'll probably cry and uh you know like teach i know that's english for a lot of kids and like i've tried to put as much of my heart and soul into it as I could have, but and it can sometimes you just you as well, can't it? Yeah. You know, I love this. Why don't you love yeah, this? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's really disheartening sometimes. I try my best. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Right. I think that brings us basically to the end. We will ask you if there's anything else you'd like to plug. Anything you want people to know? We'll do a bit on the intro after anyway. But just the mainly the tour and. Um, no, I think that's it. We'll plug all the dates in the intro and everything. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for inviting us. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, thank you for the hospitality. Absolutely, it's been amazing. We'll let you let you eat your food. It smells nice. Yeah, it does smell nice. It smells incredible. It's making me hungry. Thank you so much. Thank you. What an absolute treat that was. So nice to sit down, and we should talk about the the surroundings that we had as well we uh, as you can see on the artwork over on instagram for this episode there was a little kitty cat which was fantastic excellently behaved there was beautiful smells wafting in through the kitchen next door it was an ideal podcast record it was it was very very pleasant uh the cat was lovely and very hospitable um and as were abby and her partner Mm. And yeah, it was it was really lovely. It's it's lovely that people invite us to their to into their homes and like, want to chat with us. Absolutely, yeah, it does. It makes us feel um, warm and fuzzy when we get the invite in. So thank you to Abby and uh, shout out to uh, Trident Press as well because the book "Hold Your Metaphor Accountable" looks amazing it's so beautifully designed stunning um, stunning yeah stunning of course the words inside are equally incredible and beautiful and powerful um please head on over go support abby and it's still up for pre-sale i believe and the regular sale coming soon yeah it's early june yeah i I believe it's out on actual out on the 31st of may and to coincide with that um in the coming months and weeks you can go and see Abby Parcel live you can see Hold Your Metaphors Accountable launch Q&A 
and panel at Uniton Manchester on the 23rd of June. You can go see a set over at the Portico Library on the 13th of July and all the way over in the south you can go and see um, Abbey at the Query on the 19th of August as well as those dates that I think that she gave us exclusively towards the end. I don't think that they've been properly announced so that's exciting. Yes, uh Cardiff, I believe she's going to back home near the valleys, uh, mm, which is mm. always great. So yeah, guys, if you enjoyed that, make sure you go over to abbyparcel.writer, I believe, uh, on Instagram and follow their socials and see what she's Just doing. dead quickly as well as we've got to the end of the pod. And if you are still here, you clearly enjoyed yourself, so thank you. Um, if you would like to contribute to our ongoing discussions about how to rejig, re, re, reinvigorate, repurpose our Patreon, what sort of level of investment that you would like to or be happy with giving or donating on a monthly basis, reach out to us. Give us a shout over at, at Redraft Podcast on Instagram or either of our personal socials um, or via our email we are redraftpodcast at gmail.com um, we want to get more people involved we want to have more discussions about poetry and, and see what we can do and you telling us what we can do for you would be really really helpful so any suggestions are taken on yes, board yes absolutely yes absolutely that is it from us though this week um, anything to look forward to any, any tips tricks and events coming up that you should people should check out uh, we're approaching well Nata is going to come back in a couple of weeks again at the end of of course June. Uh, we're currently planning the next CIC workshop which we'll probably be announcing in the next coming weeks yes, as well yes, yes. Um, and oh I've got something on Sunday the 11th of June uh, you can come and see me um, record a long episode of uh, Nolan Me Nolan You um a podcast by Emily Murray dissecting the films of uh, Christopher Nolan. We are doing Memento and we are talking about Memento live um, in Manchester. Um, please come and see us. And obviously there's a screening of the film as well. So yeah, that'd be nice. That sounds great. <laughs> I've got one as well. I've just got a quick one. You'll have to probably re-edit this, but anyway. Um, yeah, I've got coming up this Wednesday on the 31st, my poem, Proud of My North. Uh, in collaboration mm. with September Avenue Films and lots of LGBT foundation uh, uh, charities is going to be released. So video and poem are going to come out on the 31st on Wednesday, uh, probably on the September Avenue Films Instagram. So yeah, stay tuned for that because I'm really proud of it. Yes, yes, one. yes. Very, very excited for that. So as always, have a beautiful week ahead of you. Uh, don't steal from strangers. And uh, always eat sweets. <laughs> I love that. See you next week, guys. <laughs> <laughs> See you in a bit. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Just oh, love that. Love that. Love that. Love <laughs> that.